You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, we're here to talk about the defense against the Buccaneers in that week eight game on Thursday night. Does anybody like Thursday night games at this point? I mean, I, I nobody likes Thursday night road games. I know that because of the big disadvantage. But uh, here to talk about it with me is Michael Crawford. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing good, Ken. I mean, just as a pure football fan, I like as much NFL football as I can get. Mm-hmm. But uh, we we run in some of the same social media circles, particularly on Twitter and uh, Yoshi. 2052, um, Dan Rees, not fans, Thursday Night Football. <laughs> so they, and they've convinced me of, of all the reasons why I shouldn't also be a fan of Thursday Night Football. You got your own reasons, though. I mean, in terms of the analysis after the game, unbelievable pain in the rear end to be up at night all the way through the night for, for Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, Thursday Night Football. And the Ravens seem to be a team that gets four or five uh, primetime games. The most you can have is five, as I understand the rules. Currently, it may, they may have changed that with the 17 week season or 17 game season. Uh, but I th- it used to be five anyway. And, uh, uh, you know, I just it's it's a lot. I'm getting old and it's a lot. Yeah. Yoshi talks about that all the time. He's like, look, if you gave me, well, like you said, now 17 games before it was 16. But he used to always say, if you gave me 16 one o'clock games on Sunday, I, I'd be in heaven. <laughs> it's definitely, uh, definitely a lot easier. Michael, where can folks talk football with you? Yeah, let's get that out there out front. Uh, well, I'm still on Twitter, um, at Abukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I. 
Um, probably don't post as much stuff as I used to, but you know, always kind of have an eye on it and I'm willing to engage with folks whenever they want to, you know, talk Ravens, talk football in general. Uh, do a couple podcasts, uh, deep cover podcasts. We've been doing for four years now. Uh, so it's myself, Kerry Stevenson, and Chris Aguilera. Um, we have a, a Twitter handle for the show there at Deep Cover Pod. Of course, you can find it on anywhere that you uh, get your podcasts and. Every now and then we'll do a YouTube show. We did a bunch of YouTube shows last year um, for the first time, just trying to see how that went and uh, kind of have gone back to audio only format this year. And then I also do the Fire Zone show, which is a defense only podcast with Denard Melton, who also got a Twitter mm-hmm. handle for the show at the Fire Zone show and um, can get those anywhere you get your podcast as well. All right. We got to have Denard on again. I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, we, we, he was on the summer. We talked, I think he was a couple different times talking about uh, individual player. Uh, we had those pairings that we did and, uh, and he was on for something else. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I enjoy him. He's a, he's a good guy. Anytime you want to talk defense, he's, he's always up for that. <laughs> Need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Please give their product a try when you have a chance. Uh, defense kept the Ravens in the game. Uh, it helped them put it away in this game. And the Ravens can't seem to be able to put away a game exclusively on offense or defense these days. Maybe that's the nature of the NFL. So, you, you know, you're going to get caught up. Other teams have always have a chance to get caught up. But uh, uh, they haven't really put away a game on defense yet. Uh, they had some chances in this one. Uh, one of the things that kept happening was they keep dropping the football on some easy interceptions. Yeah, that was uh... – those those were a little tough. Uh, a couple guys had chances on it throughout the game. I think Humphrey had a shot at one. Peters had a shot at one. Clark had a shot at one. I might be leaving somebody out. Those are the three I remember. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, obviously those guys, even more so than fans, want to make those plays and understand how important those plays are and, and, and what they mean uh, in, in terms of, of controlling the game. But um, I'm hoping maybe they're like sacks. Right. People say sacks come in bunches, maybe interceptions come in bunches. <laughs> when the whole team spends a little bit of time on the jugs gun and Patrick Queen isn't just there doing it remedially or whatever the uh, the deal may have been. But uh, the good, uh, uh, you know, good they're in position for these. In Peter's case, it was just a case of him being in a good coverage position. He actually wasn't aware of the football until very late, which is why he let it get all the way into his body. Case of Humphrey, he had to be there. He was almost like playing playing like a safety. I saw that play. I thought. Marlon Humphrey might make a really good safety someday. Yeah, he. I think one of the things that you're seeing this year is with them playing a little more zone coverage, you're seeing more opportunities for interceptions. Um, you know, some of them are, are the ones that you describe where guys are in position to sort of see the ball and make a play on it. Some of them are tips and overthrows, but, you know, again, you'll, you'll take those. You don't care how you get them. Um, but that, I think, just the nature of zone coverage, right? More yep. eyes seeing the ball come out. Uh, you, you, you should have more opportunities for interceptions. We've probably literally talked about that every week this year and and some of the frustration with how the dime defense is played because it's a lot of zone. It's a lot of soft zone with the with big leads. And, you know, it that has been very spotty for the Ravens this year. Fortunately, this was a good week for it. They played good soft zone, I thought. And they got interception opportunities. Uh, had their chances, which did not work out, and they still won the game because they they slowed Brady and his progress down the field with his you know fairly limited set of receivers. I think you'd call them. Yeah, aside from what a couple couple long balls to Mike Evans, mm-hmm. um, you know, Godwin had the one early off the play action, and maybe he yeah. had a screen here or there. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was just those deep balls to Mike Evans, and and really. I think there was three of those. Really, there was only one maybe where you're like, okay, he really, he really got me, right? He really won on that one. The other one, you know, Pepe Williams was right there, uh, the one along the right sideline. Uh, Marlon was in good position uh, on on one. The other one, I think Evans may have got away with it. Well, no, wait a minute, Marlon broke that one up, so maybe it was just those two. Maybe it was just two long balls to Evans. I was thinking there were three, but Marlon broke one up where I thought Evans had pushed off a little bit. Actually. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Marlon was able to catch up and make a play on the ball. So maybe it was just those two that he actually. So the and the and the one he took it kind of took it right out of Humphrey's hands, or Humphrey tried to take it out of his hands. And you do figure Humphrey to win that battle. Even Evans is a much bigger man, but yeah. but Humphrey is a very physical cornerback, and we've seen him, you know, basically 
dislodge the football with great ease. I wasn't even sure he touched the one pass. It looked kind of like he broke it up, but it almost looked like it went right past his hands and off of Evan's chest. Now, might have, he probably got a piece of it, you know, in yeah. order to – you know, change it. Did you see it one way or the other that way? Yeah, yeah. I think I think he got a piece of it. You know what? It reminded me because we don't obviously see the Bucks very often. Mm-hmm. It's just you know when you look at Mike Evans' numbers, nothing but one thousand yard receiving seasons his entire career. Like that's all he's done. He's never he's never had fewer than a thousand receiving yards. And some of it you think, okay, he had those Jameis years where they're just you know chucking it up all over the place because they're trailing in games. But then Brady comes and he kind of keeps it up. And you see him, he is he is a big physical dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's fast. Um, he's had some drops recently, but uh he he's a load, and you can see why he's put up the kind of numbers that he's put up because he he is a load out there uh for cornerbacks on the outside. We'll get back to talking some corners. Uh, you know, I think almost every game this year has been a discussion of injuries after the after the uh game. Everything I'm thinking they've Turn the corner on injuries. They have a bunch of people in the pipeline to get back. That pipeline can be pretty slow, by the way. Yeah. That, uh, you know, Nord Stream going through the Baltic, <laughs> got a big hole in it, whatever you want to call it. It's not even funny, honestly. But the, the uh, uh, Andrews, Edwards, Bateman, and Humphrey, I believe, all suffered setbacks in this Thursday game. And I'm not tying it directly to Thursday, but I sure don't like the fact that the three biggest parts of the offense are back from uh, not being full go for the entire week on the injury report. And then all three of them are lost. And, you know, he's seeing Andrews in street clothes, very scary thought if that's going to be multiple games. Yeah, obviously he's an important, important part. I mean, important is an understatement uh, of their offense, particularly their passing game. I mean, he is the number one receiving option. Um you know, regardless of how much we want it to be a wide receiver, we want it to be paid. Money Mark is still the guy. Uh, so hopefully that's not uh, a long-term thing for him. You know, it always makes me nervous when when Harbaugh talks about injuries. He says, none of them appear to be serious. Right. <laughs> it always makes me nervous when he says that because, I mean, honestly, he doesn't know. No one knows. And right. it seems like more often than not when he says that, the opposite happens. Uh, so I'm hoping that that's not the case in this situation. But, you know, look, I, I tip my hat to those guys for trying to gut this thing out. I mean, it, it, it could have been a situation where we go ultra conservative and say, hey, we're, we're just going to hold all these guys out of this game and try not to risk, um, like you said, setbacks or further injury. But, you know, I think you, you look at those guys and who they are on this team. They're all leaders on this team. Well, they, Andrews and Humphrey for sure. And, you know, I think Bateman's a young guy who's kind of trying to find his footing. Uh, but those two in particular are leaders on their respective sides of the ball. And I think it, to me, you know, part of that was obviously those guys want to play at all times. But I think also some of that leadership component is like, hey, this is what we do. If you can get out there, if you can walk, you're yeah. going to play. You're going to suit up and you're going to play because that's what this team is about. Now, unfortunately, they, they suffered setbacks. But like I said, I tip my hat for them for uh, for going out there and, and trying to get through it. Yeah, that's a great point. Lead by example in that way is a positive thing. I am hearing that fan a little bit right now again for what it's worth. Uh, that um, might be the actual laptop. His fan's off. So that might be okay. The <laughs> All right, we'll see how this goes here. Uh, yeah, you know, the other thing you, you mentioned there about the Harbaugh estimates of injury return times, I almost wish he would either shut it down completely. I don't know. I, I Obviously, there's no benefit at all to Harbaugh saying how long an injury is going to take to the fans. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't, if it helps the opponent, it helps the opponent, but it's, it's, it's not going to ever do the fans a, a wit of good in terms of knowing how long it's going to be for an injury. And honestly, if you're, if you want it for gambling purposes, can't help you. And, and don't, don't really feel, feel sorry for you in terms of you getting misinformation from the team, because it probably is going to happen. It probably should happen. Um, <clears throat> but it gets to be like people you've worked with who will give you an estimate on how, how long something will take to do. And you have to apply a scalar to everything you get from them. Okay, I got to apply the 1.75, you know, PD scalar to this because I know everything takes them 75% as long, 75% longer. And I, I, I really, I don't like to get in that game. And I don't want to be that person who's analyzing the Ravens interview time as a, that's the minimum. Or what does he really mean? What's the subtext of that? 
you know, what I, I, I prefer not to be that guy. Uh, you know, I think, I think there's value, honestly, in somebody really doing that critically. Um, I think there's just, honestly, there's a lot of repeating of the exact quotes of what come out of those media things and not really trying to analyze what does it really mean? Yeah. And you know, what's weird about him doing that and what you said about how, you know, sometimes you almost wish he would just like get out of the business altogether. He's, he's taken that approach at times yes. where he's gotten frustrated because he said something and then it backfires. And then the media is kind of on him a little bit because it backfired. Uh, and he's like, you know what? I'm just not going to talk about injuries anymore. And he'll do it for a little while, but then he'll go back and then he'll start to talk about it again. So I think even he is not sure, like, all right, which, which side of this thing am I going to be on? Am I, Or if he's even going to be on a side, it's just always going to be a sliding kind of moving target kind of thing. Right. Yeah, it's... Um... I, I don't even know how to how to react to it anymore because of it because I, I just I'll tell you this I don't trust it in yeah. terms of of you know what he tells you and and I think that that's that's good because if if the other team has less information about what's going on with the Ravens roster that's a that's a probably a good thing he came out of halftime and wouldn't talk to the sideline reporter about yeah. who's going to play and who's not going to well, good yeah sideline reporter has no need to know that and the other team certainly doesn't so uh yeah, anyway, I, I appreciate who he is. And I appreciate that he, he doesn't have to tell the truth to the media all the time. I, I just I, I wish that, uh, you know, we were not in a position where the subtext had to be discussed. There's other components of subtext, too, by the way, we could get into. But um, when he loves a player, it's very apparent in alliterative terminology or the way he'll go out of his way to say something positive. When he's just saying the minimum about any player who's probably got some things he needs to learn about. He uses a different set of adjectives. He uses a different uh, set of common thing. Yeah, he's coming along, great developmental player. He'll, we think he'll be there real soon, kind of thing. Yeah, and then when he gets really salty, you know the guys, the guys on the on his way out the door. You know, like he got with Tim Williams uh, at at uh, one point. There's been other players too, but yeah, I, I just being a guy who interprets that subtext to what's going on in these interviews is something I think that um, you're never popular doing. And I just, I, even though I think it's important, I think there's a, there's, there's a role there. Um, you know, it's just, it's a, uh, it's, it's something I would prefer not to be directly involved in, I think. Yeah. One of those I remember uh, from the year they drafted Ben Mason, right? Ask mm -hmm. Ben Mason, <laughs> right? That kind of thing, whether he's going to be here or whatever. <laughs> that part, I actually am okay with, right? The injury stuff, I actually wish, I, I'll say it. I, I wish that he would take the Belichick approaches. I'm not talking about it. I'm, mm -hmm. I refuse. I'm not talking about it at all. But the other stuff, I get it. That can be a little bit of sometimes it's just genuine honesty. Sometimes it's gamesmanship. We know coaches will say different things in the media to send different messages uh, to guys in the locker room. They they say they don't do it. We don't play those kind of games. They all do it yep. to varying degrees. So that stuff I'm okay with. But yeah, I, I would have no problem if, with the injuries. He just was like, no, nah, just not go. To when there's an official report that comes out, you'll know. Yeah. And just leave it at that. <laughs> that's that's the way. Even even that Belichick for years was playing games with it, and they eventually changed the system to accommodate him. Yeah. With this, you know, single doubtful and questionable is everything between zero and seventy five percent. Well, how can you go wrong? Yeah. Everybody <laughs> in the roster is questionable. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He had he had some games where he had some ridiculous number of questionables. Uh, I want to say it was just you know, oh, let's add these six guys as questionables to hide all the other guys who are actually questionable. So. Yep. Oh. Uh, all right. Well, speaking back to Belichick's prodigies here, Brady left some throws on the field in this game, I thought. Uh, had a lot of ample time and space opportunities. We're going to get into that. But uh, definitely missed a few throws in this one. It's something you're just not used to seeing from the Tom Brady we've seen over the years. You know, when, when he has that time and when he has protection, which, you know, that's been an issue for him this year with the injuries they've had on their, uh, on their own line. Uh, particularly to the interior guys. But when he's had the time, there have been just straight up misses. Mm -hmm. And that's just stuff you're not used to seeing from Tom Brady. So, you know, look, I mean, I know there's the TB12 method and all that's great, but, you know, father time is undefeated. And maybe maybe there's there's a little bit of that at work. Um, you know, he looked super frustrated at times last night, particularly with Mike Evans on a couple of plays. Um, you know, one or two other guys here or there. So, you know, losing, um, like somebody says, you know, when <laughs> there's no, there's, there's never any winning when you're losing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he, he 
probably is feeling a lot of that because again that's another thing we've not seen from him a lot throughout his career is losing in like consecutive uh you know fashion so he's probably feeling some of that but yeah some of those just hey i'm open i've got a good pocket i've got time and i just miss it's it's just not something i'm used to seeing from him it is it is uh odd Okay, it was there for a second. It's gone now again. I'm going to have to say it, unfortunately, and and bring it up when it happens. Um, yeah, I, th- there's so much body language wise that doesn't look like Tom Brady anymore. First of all, physically, he does not look like the same quarterback anymore. He doesn't have the same kind of a robust, healthy looking frame yeah. to him anymore. He looks older, and you know, you 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 look like you're looking. And and I saw the end of Johnny Unitas. And it was not pretty in terms of how his, you know, physique had kind of broken down at the at the very end. I mean, it's uh, it, he was still, you know, very smart quarterback. Uh, but about the last after about 1967, he was really never the same guy again. And um, I, I wasn't watching all those years, but I, I, I watched, first of all, the last year or so that he was at the Colts and then his his couple of years out in San Diego and. Uh, they would have him on the superstars competition. This is something I always remember. And Unitas, you know, against all these athletes, it's like watch Johnny Unitas run a half mile against Kyle Rote and some of these other guys who were these superstar soccer athletes and other players of that era. OJ Simpson, you know, when it was a guy to run against and and uh, uh, was allowed to, to, to you know run at the track events, even though you're not supposed to run and what you're good at uh, your your specialties. But anyway. Watch Unitas run in those events against them. It's just it's completely unfair. The one thing was Johnny Unitas was an excellent ping pong player, mm-hmm. and he would he would beat all these young guys at at, at ping pong even uh, even at that point in his career. There you go. Everybody's got a skill set. One the one other thing I'll say about Brady, and I know we we tend not to to bring these things into our discussion, the mm-hmm. ones that you and I have. We typically stick to on the field, but these guys are not robots. He is maybe as close to a robot at the quarterback position as we've seen for a long time, you know, over over the prime of his career. But there was the report today that his divorce was just finalized. And that's got to be tough to deal with. Right. I don't care who you are. That has got to be tough to deal with. They've got kids. Um, That's got to be a difficult thing to deal with. I'm not saying he's the only NFL player who's ever had to go out and play while they're going through some family situation. I'm sure other guys have, too. But it's got to take a toll on the man, because, I mean, anybody who's been through that in their own personal lives. Um, I'm the child of a product of a couple of divorces, not divorced myself, um, mm-hmm. fortunately, God willing, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> but uh, been through a couple of them as a child. And man, it, it's hard. It is hard on a family. And, and that's just what folks have in regular everyday jobs. I can't imagine, you know, what, what it's probably like when you've got that kind of star shining on you that he has, you know, on him and, and you're going through something like that. I, I can't. I can't exactly place this, okay, in terms of what's going on. Seems to be an amicable divorce. They seem to have worked it out. And then, by the way, that's the way to go if you can, uh, you know, is, is make sure everything's, you know, fine for your kids. You put out a joint statement. That joint statement would lead you to believe, you know, they've tried what they could to try and save the marriage and they can't do it. And they're, they're going to part ways and it's going to be amicable. And I tell you what. Unlike a lot of other NFL players and ex-NFL players, this particularly happens to, they end up getting divorced and the woman wants half of everything. And that means half of all the memorabilia they've had. And that is a surprisingly high component of net worth for a lot of ex-NFL players. So they may have you know, a Super Bowl ring and a bunch of footballs and everything. And they have all the stuff appraised or she wants it appraised anyway. And you know, people like Jamie Sharper. You know, who had a good NFL career, but I'm sure he's not made of money today. Maybe, maybe he's doing. I'm sure he's doing okay, but you know, it's it's he ends up having to sell all his Super Bowl stuff yeah. because because of that uh, kind of stuff. But a lot of his other you know football stuff as well. And you know, I hate to see that kind of thing happen. That won't happen to Tom Brady uh, in this particular case. That you know is is dealing with a, a a wife also who's a very successful woman and whatnot. But uh, uh, you know you. you I, I would think it would weigh even heavier on some other people. And my guess is that since this this has been around for a while in terms of there's there's some difficulty in the marriage and there's some things with him, you know, leaving the team and going other places for periods of time, that maybe a little bit of this already was in the past already. That said, you know, knowing that your tweet is going to come out the next day and you know, it's important how the the rest of the world reacts to your tweet is probably something that's difficult for him to look forward to. 
yeah, can't imagine uh, at all. And like I said, we 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 tend to look at these guys as as jersey numbers and helmets, but you know, there's a there's a human being in there, and uh, you know that as tough as these guys may be, you know that that can be, um, you know, the part of them that that really affects them the most, right? They can take getting hit by 300 pound dudes. They can go through injuries. They can do all of that, but the family stuff, you know, that just, that, that eats at a different part. Of it. Yeah. That's a good point, man. Real good point. All right. Let's get back to some, some nice stuff about this. I mean, I thought one of the things that we'll talk about the offense here for about a minute or two, and that's hopefully it, but we, we saw a little bit of the 2019 Ravens in terms of the second half approach in this football game. And I thought that really helped the defense stay off the field for a while. Uh, you know, First of all, they were on the field. It seemed like forever in that second half. I know the, the the Tampa had some long drives in the second half, but most of it was short passes against soft zone, long drives, you know, garbage time yards, effectively pick up. The Ravens, they were like, we're going to run it. And you can't stop us. Na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I like to call that boa constrictor mode. That's what I used yeah. to call it in 2019. We haven't seen much of it uh this year and obviously not much last year either but uh it's always always enjoyable uh yeah. when they can get into that that uh that context where uh they basically are doing whatever they want they're running the ball whoever runs whoever's running the ball is having success they throw it when they want to throw it and they're effective with it and they really just kind of get it a lot of people call it four minute offense right to close out a game it, it, it turns Eight. into like a quarter's worth <laughs> <laughs> at that point and uh you just love it right you like when you're a ravens fan you, you love when they get into those situations got a little bit of data on that they in the second half of this game they had 18 first downs so 18 times they ran a first down play they didn't turn the ball over and that's a good way to lose the football if you if your offense is running well otherwise but they only faced third down five times oh, wow. only five times out of 18 you know, that's so so that's remarkable to start with. And then they made four out of those. So they, they only got truly stopped on one play, and that was that fourth down play where sorry, the third down play and one play where they end up kicking a field goal. So other than that, the the uh, uh the whole second half, they they were stopped by the goal line. That that was pretty much it. So it was such a stark contrast too yes. from the first half to the second half. I mean, it was like you saw people on Twitter saying that they changed play calls. At halftime, because it just felt like a whole different flow uh, to the game. But you know, look, I mean, that happens. I know, like, obviously, you, you do these shows all the time, so I'm sure you hear it even more than me. People love to take shots at Roman. People love to beat up right. on Roman. There's certainly things there that I think are fair to criticize. Uh, but you know, whatever happened in there at halftime, in terms of hey, here are the adjustments we need to make. Let's make them. Hey, hat, you know, hats off. Uh, credit to him and the staff and the players, whoever else was a part of it, uh, because they did it and did it extremely well. Those numbers are incredible. Yeah, they, uh, they, they certainly were in terms of being. And, and you know what? It wasn't all running. I mean, they, when they needed a pass, they got a, they got a pass for a first down. Isaiah Likely, Demarcus Robinson, you know, Kenya, I think Kenya Drake might have had a pass for a well, he had a, certainly had a pass for a touchdown. Yep. So, we, uh, you know, it just. It was it was spread out, and they did it without Andrews, and they did it basically without Bateman. I don't know. Did Bateman actually – he had one target, I think, early in the game where he was covered down the right sideline, I want to say. But I, I don't think I don't think he had anything else. I don't think he had a catch in this game. Not sure about no, that. I got the anyway. game book up right here in front no, of me. He had uh, one no. target, no catches. Yeah. Yeah. So lots to – Lots to like about this game. We won't stick with the offense. We'll get back to the to the to the defense here. I had a few general thoughts. Maybe we can talk through some of these. The Ravens had good success on third down, stopping the um, the the Bucks. They were only four of thirteen on third down. Five of thirteen if you include fourth down. Mm-hmm. We had one person ask, "How did that differ by half?" And I do happen to have the first half summary here. So in third downs, the Bucks were two of six in the in the first half. So it looks like they were two of seven in the second half. Not too much of a difference, but uh, but still not as good. Um, the Ravens were unbelievably different. They were two of eight in the first half, four of five in the second half. So it's a matter of ha- having the ball for even more plays and, and never getting to third down pretty much. The game that kind of reminds me of is the 
that Colts game from week six of last year where they, I think it was week six, where they had the big comeback against mm-hmm. uh, Indianapolis. Yep. And they, they never got to third down. I mean, the last, last I want to say four drives of the game, they never got to third down even once. So first, second, first, second, first, second, and they drove right down the field and scored, including that overtime touchdown. Yeah, they were rolling in that game. I remember that one too. Once once they were in comeback mode, uh, they 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 really started to roll. Um, this game, yeah, the third the third down defense. Um, you know, that's that's kind of a general thing. You, I tend to always look at that. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, like I'm breaking news or anything. That third down defense is important. Um, but they kind of settled in, you know, after that first drive mm-hmm. where the Bucks kind of went right down the field. You know, throughout the rest of the game, until that that late drive at the end there, um, kind of the big, meaty middle portions of the game, they really kind of settled in and might have allowed a couple runs here or there, maybe a little screen here, maybe a pass over the middle there. But for the most part, they really were able to kind of settle in and really kind of put the lid on a lot of the stuff that the Raven, uh, that, that the Bucks were trying to do. And that I've used that term a lot uh, over the last couple of weeks with the defense. Like, they're just keeping the lid on stuff, right? versus what we saw in the Miami game <laughs> and some of these other games. And I feel like although you're going to give up some stuff underneath, right, you're going to see yardage, but you're going to, by the, you know, by, by and large, you're, you're going to keep the other team out of the end zone. Right. Um, and maybe they're kicking field goals. Um, but I think for me, it's been like a weird visual thing because I'm just not used to seeing Ravens defense look like that. <laughs> and so it's like, Man, they're just giving up these yards. But I think some of that, like you said, is the modern, the modern NFL. It's, it's, it's kind of what defense looks like, except for, you know, maybe aside from like the, the very, very elite defenses. And even for them, when they go up against a top level offense, that's what it looks like. Uh, and then it's also this Mike McDonald defense. You know, mm-hmm. you just have to accept that hey, it's going to look different. Um, they're going to allow some different things, but they're also going to keep a lid on big plays. Um, you know, after they got those early mistakes corrected, and I can live with that. You know, I'm fine with that. Well, I I, I like that too. I I have a theory that this Ravens defense is a lot better than what we've seen to date. The the offenses they've faced have been exceptionally good so far in the year. Facing Miami when Miami was at its best, Miami overall not as good, but Miami overall hasn't had two every game either. And you know, the the New York Giants are a little bit better than anybody really thought. I still don't believe they're a great team or anything, but I think they have some some things they can do offensively, and the Ravens shut them down pretty much. They've, they shot themselves in the foot, gave them some short fields with both special teams and offense in that game, mm-hmm. but they didn't do much on a long field, that's for sure. Uh, I thought that, that you know they, they played Buffalo tough to yeah. hold them to 23 points. I mean, yeah, they've, they've faced one of the toughest schedules in the NFL so far, and they've looked – really good defensively and particularly played one of the toughest schedules for the offensive quality of the opponent. Uh, New York Jets are a better team than anybody thought. I mean, obviously they face the Flacco Jets and they, they might not be as good as the Wilson Jets or they might be, I really don't know, but, but the, uh, uh, you know, they've, they've had some, uh, you know, I, 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 here's what I think. I think this offense, if you look at DeVoa is 12th in the NFL whereas they're 23rd in points allowed per drive. Mm. So I think basically they're a lot closer to the 12th best team in the NFL than they are to the 23rd. And I think that's going to show up over the course of the regular season as they start to play some lesser opponents. And if you've looked at the records of the remaining opponents that the Ravens play, you should be very excited about the – you should be considering your playoff ticket purchases right now because (laughs) because they're – yeah, you know, they play a whole bunch of two and five teams the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah, I think we gotta we gotta throw the um the Bengals in there too. Yeah, um, you know, only allowed what seventeen, I think. Yeah, good point. Them. And we know what they're capable of. I know they, you know, it had some struggles early on, but it looks like they might. Well, it looked like they might have been getting a, a corner turn, but now Chase is hurt, so we'll have to see what that looks like for them. But yeah, you're right. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that. Um, just big picture, you know, in terms of the offenses that they had faced and what it's going to look like moving forward. So um, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I, <laughs> I hope that things continue to trend the way that they're trending. And I don't see why they wouldn't really, um, because you think about the defense and, and how much um, newness is there, right? Mm-hmm. I think Mike McDonald uh, figuratively is, is still kind of finding his voice as a play caller at the NFL level, he's still kind of learning what guys do best, what kind of situations to try to put them in. 
Um, you know, because people will say, well, yeah, he called plays last year at Michigan. This ain't Michigan. This is this is the NFL, and this is a whole different deal. And they can say, well, he's been here before. Yeah, all that's great. It's not the same as calling plays. And so I think he's he's kind of finding his voice in that way. Obviously, they've had injuries, and yeah. you're getting key guys coming back. Um, we've talked about it before. You know, you get a Jabo back on top of all the other guys that retired. That that's just icing. Anything you get from him is icing. It's absolute icing and gravy. Um, and so it looks like, you know, obviously they got to play the games. Anything could happen. Uh, so I'll caveat that. But it looks like you're kind of getting these guys back at the right time. Like if you can come out of that bye and you've got this defensive line with JPP and Justin Houston and Campbell and Kennard and Owe, and like I said, anything, you know, Bowser comes back. Anything you can get out of Ajabo going into the second half of the season, I mean, you got to feel pretty good about how that looks. Are you guys still noticing that there's these strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section at your local grocery store? Well, that's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and its infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring a death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits of every can sold to help kill that plastic pollution. And you guys know me. I come on here and tell you a story about how I've been using it that week and kind of form people as I'm drinking water. Well, I got a new one this week. I'm not going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do because this week is Halloween. So Monday night, I'm taking the kids around. And I know there's some people that are handing out beer and shots and stuff. But I don't want to do that when I'm around my kids. So when I'm dragging my two eight-year-olds around and going door to door, I'll be dragging the wagon with the cooler of liquid death. So I'll be handing out tall boys of water to parents. And hey, if a kid asks, I can actually give it to a kid as well because all it is is water straight from the Alps. Go on and get liquid death. Get it today. Get it ready for Halloween. Uh, you go get liquid death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film film study yeah I, I mean i think it's possible canard is the odd man out i i don't know if 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 he'll be around but i mean I, well here's here's the thing i love about the group you just mentioned because it's really you're talking about the outside linebacker group and under wink that group was this flexible amoeba of outstanding defenders who would be in there four and, and sometimes even five at a time during that, during that 2019 season uh, in the race car package, I talk about on the show all the time. So you you play four outside linebackers. Maybe you play one big guy in the middle, or maybe you don't. And then you play six or seven defensive backs behind that. And you know they had terrific success with that. And they put, in fact, 2019 it was 13% of the snaps. So they played more race car than they did base defense in 2019. So when you're winning, you can do a lot of things differently because the other team has to catch up, and you can send your good pass rushers out there and have some fun. This team could be there right now, or to date, and and this was not as much true this week because I think they had a pretty good complement of, of players ready to go. With with having Kennard back meant that they could play some games at Sam linebacker, not have Oway out there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Right there, that's a compromise taken away. So Oway can play fewer snaps, hopefully be more effective on a per snap basis. Justin Houston has been the most effective per snap outside linebacker as a pass rusher in the entire NFL this year. I think that's over. Did you see a tweet today about that? That showed yeah. his. Yeah. Great to see. Completely believable, given what he was. Another incredible game here that we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure, at, at, at some point. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That was that was that was on my end. Yeah. No, he I, I think that's the way that you, at least in my mind, that they wanted to use these guys when they brought yeah. them in. Right. You wanted Houston to not be like a a, a 100% situational pass rusher. He was going to play a little bit more than that. But him and guys like Campbell, you want them in those high leverage situations. Yeah. Right. That's that's where they excel. And so I think if you could kind of manage their snap count so that, hey, in some of those other normal down and distance situations where, you know, it's it's maybe a little bit more even or maybe even a little bit more 60, 70% that it might be run or something like that. Okay, we can have some different guys in there, some younger guys in there, and then you know let those guys sort of be the closers, you know, in those in those those high leverage situations. And when they're fresh, because they haven't had to eat some of those other snaps, then they really can get after it. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, people are already saying, well, Justin Houston can't keep this up, 
you get the oldest guy, you know, he can't he can't be leading your team. And say, who cares about any of that? <laughs> who cares? And first of all, let's say his rate dropped to 75 percent of what it was right now. It'd still be probably the best in the NFL because he's leading the NFL by a wide margin. But the other thing I would say is I think he probably can keep it up. Not 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 at this level, but qualitatively, he can keep up a very high level of play if the Ravens can hold him to 15 or 20 snaps a game. And that's what they've done the last couple. He's been just incredibly effective. I mean, the guy's bringing it like who would ever know that he had any sort of a growing injury ever. It's, like, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's the ideal situation, you know, and it's just getting enough health and, and depth, getting enough, you know, guys back healthy and having enough depth where you can, you can allow him to function that way. And they just haven't been able to do that over yeah. the last year or two, but uh, it's, like I said, it's trending in that direction and we're, we're seeing it bear fruit. So yeah, I, I don't see why, like you said, qualitatively, can he just continue to, to stack good pass rushes in those situations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? He's been doing it his whole career, uh, you know, barring injury. And like you said, sort of being maxed out um, or sort of over snapped barring those kinds of things. Yeah. Why, why couldn't he? Absolutely. I, I, I'm real happy with what they've gotten out of Jason Pierre Paul. And this is the, the, the outside linebacker group at a whole and how you find out how to, how to optimize that group. You've got a lot of high value parts there. You've got, you know, Tyus Bowser coming back is the best coverage linebacker in the NFL. You can figure out when you need to get him on the field at appropriate times. You, you've got uh, David Ajabo coming back, a valuable pass rush specialist, I would think, as a rookie. But maybe McDonald even knows somehow to, some way to get value out of him as a run defender. Yeah, if anybody knows, it's Mike uh, because he knows this guy better than anybody else. And I think you saw a little bit of that in Michigan. You know, he hadn't played a lot leading into that last season there, I think he had like less than 10 snaps, uh, it, you know, before last year where he kind of had that breakout. And even the early part of last year, he kind of didn't, you know, put up the numbers that you saw, you know, going forward. But there were a couple of, because that was the big kind of big knock on him, right? People saw mm-hmm. the pass rush ability was, hey, but can this guy play the run? He looks a little bit weak against the run. But there were some plays in there, if you really dug down into it, where you could say, okay, here's where he probably could be effective playing the run. And, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, define this too narrowly mm-hmm. um, because I don't know that that's necessarily the case. But to me, he looks like one of those guys who's a good seven technique type run defender, right? Yeah. And when I talk about that, it's not exclusively by alignment, right? People who, who you know sort of think about things in those terms would think about a guy lining up on the outside shoulder of the tight end. Mm-hmm. There's a tight end there, um, or if there's no tight end, it, maybe you widen out a little bit. You, you'd essentially be a wide five, but it, you know, call it seven, whatever you can get in all kinds of stuff with these numbers, but it's more about how he plays that position, right. Than the alignment. You're not looking for a guy who's got to just come in there and like dominate the tight end or dominate the tackle. He's going to win with quickness, right. He's going to be one of those guys who can slip, move inside, move outside. And that's how he's going to make his plays against the run. Yeah. C- crash down. Uh, you know, when I think of what you're talking about with a really a wider, uh, opportunity for your outside linebackers. I think of Jumbo Nickel and and you know spreading five wide in what would otherwise normally be situations where the other teams are running a fairly heavy formation, either twelve or twenty one, and they're looking to run the football. And you, they they still have actually it would have to be it probably had to be three wide receivers on the field. Yeah, it had to be. It still has to be eleven. So it has to be eleven to make the Jumbo Nickel worthwhile. So, but anyway, you widen that line of scrimmage and you give up an inside linebacker to do it, but it's, it's worth it because your edge defenders have a better chance to force that play to the inside. And Ajabo, I mean, the, the guy, number nine, who was, who was giving Stanley some trouble in this game. Yeah. Uh, uh, Joe, uh, used to be Joe Tryon, but he, he had like Shrainka Tryon. I might be pronouncing. He's got like a hyphenated name. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's, yeah. It, that guy, very slippery, outstanding spin move, uh, I, I didn't think he was great in this game, but I will say this: Stanley really, really st- stood out as not engaging with blocks with the guy. Meaning, I think he he needs to do more to punch and initiate the contact with him because he's just too quick and 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 otherwise was was getting after run plays when Stanley did not initiate against him. I think of that as being you know a jabo because primarily because of his length uh, to start with, he's going to be a guy who can do that. And he already he comes to the NFL. Not certainly by any means with a polished toolkit, given how little total college football he's played, but he has some outstanding athleticism 
to build off right away and a little bit of pass rush moves from that we saw at Michigan. Yeah, it reminds me of, you mentioned Joe Trank and Tryon, um, Jalen Phillips at Miami who yeah. played earlier this year. Guys who are long athletes and you're not going to go in there and like old school ask them to like, you know, butt heads with tight ends, run blocking type tight ends and offensive tackles. You're going to say, no, use your athleticism, get out in space, beat this guy around the edge, cross hard across his face. If nothing else, even if he pins you inside, you're probably going to occupy the guard too. And yeah. so, <laughs> you know. Yeah, a good chance to disrupt the play any number of ways if you cross somebody's face and can do it effectively and 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 regularly. If you get in that backfield, that running back could be, you know, absolutely stopping right there in any number of directions. So anyway, get excited. I, th- th- that's one position I'm super excited about the Ravens is they're not just playing out of necessity going forward, that they're playing to optimize for advantage down the, down the stretch. And, you know, you look at the secondary right now, the secondary is in a lot of trouble. Uh, in in my opinion, meaning really the cornerback group. Uh, if if the, if anything were to happen to one of the top two corners that last, and we we missed key snaps out of Marlon Humphrey in this game, uh, you know they're 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 in a lot of trouble from that. The safety group is down to three outstanding, admittedly players right now. They had four. They really had five when they had yeah. Tony Jefferson. I, I thought that you know all of them could provide some value defensively to an NFL team, but. Um, you know, they they could, if, if Marcus Williams can get back and they are still have the four safeties, they, they still have all four of them healthy, meaning, you know, obviously nobody else has to go down if that's the case. This could be one of the most interesting teams to watch down the stretch in terms of how they align themselves. Because I think all, everything is open in terms of how, where you line up safeties uh, in that case. I think the inside linebacker position is open for for exchange on a down-by-down basis. Patrick Queen's played really well in recent weeks. Maybe not so great in this game, but but really well in recent weeks. Let's you know give the guy his due. He had a long stretch of no missed tackles um, coming into this game that unfortunately got broken, but he did. He, he, he's been playing well. But I just, the idea that McDonald is going to have choices instead of this play out of necessity just really looks to me to be an exciting feature of the remainder of the 22 season. Yeah, cornerback is the one position. I know, you know, as the trade dead, trade uh, trade deadline nears, people are all excited about wide receivers. They always are. <laughs> cornerback is the one position to me, and I'm I'm not saying anything, right, because I don't know who's available. I don't know the contractual status. I don't know any of that stuff. But that would be a, a position where I wouldn't mind seeing a move, right? And I know you could look at the numbers right now and say, well, how does it fit? Where are the snaps? Like I said, that's always a good problem to have in my mind. Like if you've got right. another good player, um, because I think back to the beginning of the season, I think back to like, man, if you still had Kyle Fuller in this group, you know, as guys are starting to get a little dinged up, like Humphrey, you'd feel a little bit better about it, right? With a guy like that who's a vet, who's got some experience. You know, he's not Marlon Humphrey, but he's a guy who's played in this league. You feel like, all right, if he's got to come in and take a game because Marlon's hurt or whatever, you, you feel okay. Um, I don't know that you feel that way right now. And so I'd, I'd like to maybe see, you know, something happen there. But, you know, who knows whether that happens or not. Because you look at a guy like, you know, Jalen Armour Davis. It's been a healthy scratch for a number of weeks now. Yeah. Um, you know, Pepe's obviously been playing a little bit more. Um, but, you know, there's there's obviously going to be some limitations there. Not not just physically. People look at him. They know he's small in stature. But also being a rookie. So there's going to be ups and downs there, too. Um, Brandon Stevens has kind of been all over. He's played some outside corners. You know, he's done mm-hmm. some different things, but you know he's he's kind of had some ups and downs as well too. So, yeah, I, I'd like to see something else happen there. But if it doesn't, like you said, if if these guys can stay healthy as they're currently constructed, the group that they currently have, and you can get Marcus Williams back, I think you're still in really really solid position. But we know how precarious that can be with cornerbacks. Yeah. We've seen it year after year here for <laughs> with the Ravens. So it would just make me feel better. From like an insurance standpoint, the one guy who could force himself onto the field, I think, for more snaps would be um, uh, Hamilton coming in yeah. as a big slot, uh, and he could he could cover not just a tight end because I think he can do that for sure at this point. I'm, I've seen I've seen enough. I'm I'm happy to judge at this exact moment. I had a real good game here. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, I, I I would like them to be less fearful of putting him on to cover Mike Evans. And if he's, I mean, you gotta, you gotta give him coverage over the top, but if Mike Evans is in the slot and uh, you know, you have, uh, you have Hamilton on him 
Okay, he's got to have coverage over the top. Now, you know, so standard quarters coverage, whatever it might be, to make sure that he doesn't, you know, get lost in space against Mike is a good thing. But if you want somebody to physical Mike Evans off the line of scrimmage, you want somebody to disrupt his route a little bit. If you want somebody to drag the seam wherever he's going and make it difficult for that opposing quarterback to throw over him, he's a great choice. He certainly got the length. I'm still a little nervous about the movement ability <laughs> against guys who are a little bit quicker um, with him. That still makes me a little bit nervous because I felt that coming out of college. I just felt like that just wasn't uh, a strength of his, mm-hmm. right? Guys who had a little bit more quickness, guys who had a little bit more agility. And even a guy like Mike Evans, like you said, who's a big guy, he still moves really well for a guy his size. Um, so that I always felt like was maybe not his strength. He really felt like a guy who, like you said, could get physical, could really man up with pretty much all tight ends, unless you're talking about like the elite elite guys in there who who can cover them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not even a great example. But those kinds of players, those kinds of body types, and then in zone coverage, just because of his wingspan. I mean, he he just eliminates windows. It's hard to get the ball around a guy like that. And that's primarily how they used him at Notre Dame. And so I was like, well, look, if you bring him in and you ask him to do those things in his rookie year and then you gradually expand the toolkit as he learns how to do other things, I think you're going to get plenty of good stuff out of this guy. And I think that they already have. And I think that they'll continue to get even more out of him because, like I said earlier, I think even Mike McDonald is still kind of learning, okay, what does Kyle do best? What are Kyle's strengths? And you're starting to see it. They're moving him around. He's doing some different things. I mean. I don't remember if he did as much in this game. I know he did it in the Browns game. So you see that guy in the middle of the field in zone coverage, and it's just like, dude, where are you going to throw the ball? Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you've got guys running the seams, normally you feel pretty good about that. Like, hey, we can fit one of these seam balls in when they got a single high safety. But with a guy like that in the middle of the field, those windows shrink. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited about him. I know some people were down on him earlier in the year with some of the stuff, but I mean, that's just that's just the life of a rookie. Man. I mean, that's that's just how that stuff goes. We we ascribe something. Hamilton's very well spoken. He's you know presents himself very well. Perhaps some of that is you know the fact that he's at Notre Dame. Perhaps some of it is the fact that and and I don't mean that. How I mean that is any Notre Dame football player is going to be much more polished in terms of how they address the media and whatnot, and and how they're prepared for that sort of thing. In fact, Notre Dame probably spends as much time as any organization in making sure that you know how to talk to the media. but beyond that, he's, he's a very intelligent kid, and, and it shines through in terms of his conversation. But we've we've mapped that to football intelligence in a way that may not be fair to him. Yeah, uh, and and uh, and we've you know he's he's got some learning to do. He still needs to learn a playbook, and you know the expectation was why why on earth would you still have Clark on the field? Why would he have the green dot when you? Know, <laughs> we've seen some of that this year in terms of why that's true. Yeah, Denard and I have had that conversation, and it's not to cast aspersion. But right. there is a difference. We, we both kind of felt this way between that football intelligence and that sort of academic intelligence. Yeah. They're not the same thing. And, you know, it can take time, especially for a rookie. It can take time, um, you know, for the football intelligence to sort of catch up. Right. I mean, you can be a Mensa scholar and all of that and all those things that he is uh, doesn't take away from any of that. But it doesn't necessarily mean. Um, that it's going to translate immediately to the football field. And I thought early on where he did an interview, I thought he framed it perfectly um, where they asked him, hey, do you, is, it, is it the game? Is the game moving too fast for you? And he said, no, it's not the game. It's me. It's my mind. My mind is moving too fast. It needs to slow down to process things and to really have an understanding of what I'm seeing and not to be tricked by what I think I see. It's not, you know, he was, it's like the equivalent of seeing ghosts, right, from a quarterback. You think you're seeing things that say that you're not actually seeing. And so for him, he's like, no, nah, it's not the game that's too fast. It's my mind that's too fast right now. Good for him for for responding that way that he's that he's uh, overthinking it or that he's maybe doesn't have all the pieces to make the judgment necessarily. But uh, but I'm glad he you know the, the self-effacing component of him hopefully makes him a better player in terms of self-study and whatnot. Uh, it doesn't end up like Kyler Murray where he's trying to get by on on whatever physical tools he has. But uh, in Call of Duty, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see. What else do we have? I love the fact that the defense had the chance for a game to have a you know a substantial lead where they were you know off and on leading by eleven, then getting the lead back by eleven in this game. It seemed like and uh, and defending the field, eyes in the backfield, 
is just a lot of fun to play defense with with this team. So uh, they also had good barbelling of the results against Brady. So they, they got a few plays where they got pressure on him. Didn't really rush the passer very aggressively at all. Uh, but they had a few plays where they where they got after him and had some negative plays. He had some incomplete passes in this one. Didn't have a real high completion rate. So that's always nice if you want to try and get off the field. Uh, one thing that the the uh, Bucks didn't do too much of was have a lot of offensive penalties that got them into trouble. But they did have an they had an offensive pass interference. They had an offensive holding, and that helped get them. Is that true? They had an offensive pass interference, or was that the Ravens? No, they had one. The Mike. Uh, oh no, you know what? I'm 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 thinking about the Browns game. No, uh, yeah, I don't know if they had one. All right, no, the Ravens had had DPI for sure. Yeah. Um, and did they did they have an OPI? They might have. Somebody had an OPI in this game, I think. Okay, and I so, know they had the holding because that was that was their left tackle just like jacking up big play. Yeah, <laughs> just in Houston. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a big part of, of of the game. You know, you you make splash plays a lot of different ways, and you know, I've I've been through multiple iterations of thinking maybe I should change my offensive line scoring system to reduce the weighting on penalties. I keep coming back to it's not the nature of football. In that, meaning that there need to be extreme events usually to get a team off the field defensively. Yeah. So if your if your uh, uh, offensive linemen are causing those via holding penalties, chop blocks, whatever it might be, even five yard penalties can do it, especially if they're optional penalties like an IDP, say, or an illegal formation where the, the defense then has the option to take the penalty or not. Um, those penalties are one of the major components of getting the, the, the other team off the field. So I, I don't think you can, I think the risk is that you weight them too little, not that you rate them too much. And if I, I, I'm not generally critical of how PFF does it, but I will underscore this difference is that PFF and I have usually different weightings for penalties. And I think they're much more important than PFF does. That's just, that's just the way this is going on here. Uh, and uh, I'll, I, there are players, and we've been over this before with Patrick McCary, I believe, the, the one week you, you were on before. There was a big underscore difference in the in – the, I had him as an F, and, the, and, the, and PFF had him scoring pretty good. And uh, we agree on the events entirely, so it's a matter of weightings. Yeah, yeah, and that that OPI, Prochet, that phantom – He was the one. Yeah. That was a phantom call, terrible yeah. call. Yeah, but, th- but that's, a, that's a great illustration of your point just from the other side because it's the Ravens' offense and the Bucks' defense. But, you know, Ravens had had, what, I think one or two drives – leading up to that point, because that was early in the second quarter. And that one, they finally started to put something together. They get that penalty, and it just stalls the whole thing out. I mean, they got the yeah. intentional grounding a couple of plays later, too. But that one really kind of started to stall, because now you're first and 20. And, you know, it just – yeah, they're, they're killers. They're absolute killers. I mean, it's not that, that teams don't overcome them at times, but, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't want to make things more difficult on yourself, you know. We, we, what I think would be an interesting study is to look at all failed drives and look at the components of those failed series to say, you know, what were the, what were the key plays and, and what reduced their chance of converting the series by the most. That study is not impossible to do. And with the NFL fast R data, I, I think it could be done, you know, with, with a modicum of setup. But I think it would be an interesting thing to try and figure out when drives stall, what's the usual reason? And and then that would hopefully give us some insight into into whether or not uh, you know penalties should be as as heavily weighted as I think they are and, and have weighted in my system. I took a crack at that from the film standpoint. Obviously, you know the data start side is is going to be a struggle for me. Um, but I had Yoshi pull together those failed drives from like the first four games. You know, when okay. they kind of struggling in the red zone and stuff. Because I knew that penalties were a factor. Um, you know, I knew that there was some third down stuff in there, but I was more looking at, okay, well, from a concept standpoint, you know, what, what's going on there? Are there things that they're running that um, aren't working? And what are the reasons why those things aren't working? Um, I didn't get all the way through it just because I'm doing the run game stuff and then I'm doing some other stuff too. But sure. um, the penalties were a big part of it. I think uh, Dan might have pulled some numbers, some data for me on the penalties. Um, I don't want to say there was one on every series of those failed drives. But it was like almost there might have been one. And I think I, I was looking at maybe like 20 drives or so, maybe a little bit less. And I think there was like one or two that didn't have a penalty on it. Wow. <laughs> so it was it's it was it was a pretty big factor uh, early on. Now, don't quote me on that. You know, people will go and pull the data and be like, he was wrong. There wasn't that many. 
admittedly, that's not my strong suit, right? I, I, I tend to look more at the, the, the qualitative, um, you know, stuff from film and that kind of thing. But I was just interest, interested from like a, a concept standpoint, what was going on there. But now from, from the data side of it, I would love to see that because I, <laughs> I ran about it in a little group I'm, I'm in on Twitter. You know, we have a little chat and I ran about it all the time. When we get into like, don't beat yourself, penalties, uh, especially pre-snap stuff. Um, I just go like crazy about it, like all the time, because I'm just like, it's so hard to win these games. It's so hard to score points. You can't do these things to yourself. You just can't do these things to yourself and ex- and expect to be a good team. All right, I'm going to move on. If it's okay, we'll try and get yes. through packages, and then we'll uh, we'll get our little break in here. Uh, the Ravens played 61 snaps of defense in this game. That didn't include the kneel. Uh, they played two jumbo snaps. Real interesting to see them out there with four defensive linemen, only three defensive backs, a couple of times versus the Bucs. You know, we think of the Bucs throwing a team and whatnot. Uh, run for three, incomplete pass on those. They got a nine snaps of base. Uh, were effective at that, 34 yards, 3.8 per play. Now they shut down the, the, the run game, so we know they were doing fairly well in that. The standard nickel is where most of the big plays occurred for the um, Bucks. So they were in the standard nickel 18 times. And again, most of the time that the Bucks put three wide receivers on the field, that's when the Ravens are going to go ahead and match it up with three corners. They're going to have their standard 2-2-2, two, two, and two, um, kind of inside, outside linebackers and defensive linemen. Uh, 18 plays, 7.6 yards per play. Uh, by the way, when they did that, when they went to a third corner, they usually went to Pepe. When they went to Dime, they would pull Pepe and bring in Brandon Williams a lot. Stevens. Brandon Stevens, yes. Brandon, Brandon Stevens, Williams. yeah. Brandon yeah. Williams would be would be a, that'd be a tough player corner. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like he'd have less penalties than than Brandon Stevens, but <laughs> guys would get open pretty quick. I would yes. I would think yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was I was watching the Bucks leading up to this game. I watched the Panthers game, and I was kind of surprised by some of the heavy personnel stuff that they got into. Um, a lot of twenty one, not a lot. Some twenty one, some twelve. Some names that I knew just from the draft stuff. Coquife from Minnesota, Kay mm-hmm. Dotton. Um, and then they, they kind of got the elder, elder statesman there, Kyle, Red, uh, Kyle Rudolph at tight end too. And I was, I was a little surprised by that. Cause you're right. You're thinking about Mike Evans. You're thinking about Godwin, Russell Gage. Um, he Scott was Brashad, Brashad yeah. Perry. Let's not forget. <laughs> yeah. and so you're thinking about all of those guys. You're thinking about Tom Brady. You're thinking, okay, they, yeah, they're going to spread this thing out, throw it all around. But I think they've been trying to run the ball. Uh, because of some of their protection issues, I think they've been trying to, to play a little bit heavier too and find a way to get the run game going so they can get uh, some play action stuff going because the straight drop back game is a little harder for them to protect right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that might be why they'd employed some of that heavier stuff. And it's stuff that Tom has done throughout his career. I mean, he, he loves, you know, throwing off play action. And obviously they hit a couple plays against the Ravens uh, with that. So um I, if, if I had not done that beforehand, watching this game, I'd be like, who are these guys out on the field? Why are they in these heavy sets? Um, but I, I saw that and I was like, okay, I, I expect them to do some of that. And they, they had a little success with it at various times. Uh, now, the they played jumbo nickel. Okay, so this is the other, the other nickel. They played four times and three incomplete passes and the 51-yard throw to Evans. Yeah. Don't know how I really analyze that. I usually would say that's good barbell results, but that that's just a little bit too far. <laughs> to, uh, yeah. Twelve point eight yards per uh, per play there. Um, they this is when it got good, and they and this is where one of the ways where it got bad. always good when you can play a lot of dime. Twenty eight total snaps of dime in this game. Twelve of them they went with the three outside linebacker, what I call the rush dime. Not quite the race car, but they they push Pierre Paul to the inside. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of him as that fourth guy. He's he's got some significant versatility for this team that they've really put to use during their time of greatest need right now. And I think you know he'll he'll stay around and he'll be part of the team as the as the uh, team closes up. I don't think there's any reason why they let him go at this point. Um, uh, but uh, you know he's 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 really helped the Ravens, and you can be part of a multi outside linebacker package or just getting your best pass rushers on the field is maybe another way to think of it. Yeah, just a, a, an experienced veteran pass rusher who knows how to rush. Uh, I think I mentioned this on the last show that I was on that 
that not only knows how to rush, but knows how to rush within a unit, right? Yeah. Understands how, how to work off of other guys and how to set up other guys. And the other thing that he does, as you would expect a veteran to do, he all, all the, the, the good veteran rushers do it. Uh, Houston does it too. Um, they, they, they rush in a way that they're also able to keep their eyes on the quarterback, right? You see some young guys, they get totally focused on who they're rushing against, right? And mm-hmm. they lose where the ball is. They lose where the quarterback is. These guys, it's almost like they're not even looking at the guys that they're rushing. <laughs> and they're only looking at the quarterback. And they sort of just feel these guys that they're rushing against, right? Justin Houston is talking about that, like blindfolding himself and working his hand fighting moves, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, you know, I think that's part of why they're so successful because they always know where the quarterback is. They never lose sight of the quarterback because they've got their eyes locked on a tackle or locked on a blocker and the quarterback is moved or the ball is out. They see them at all times. And so not only can they get there, they get bad at balls. You know, we've seen JPP do that too, just because they're constantly watching the quarterback. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And particularly for inside rushers, absolutely critically important. Um, but but even, even an outside rusher like JPP is most of the time, or Justin Houston certainly is most of the time, I think having that wide angle lens on the camera uh, you know, that frog-like peripheral vision that'll that'll give you the widest field of view you could get uh, is really a good idea, period. I, and it's more than just keeping your eye on the quarterback. You want to do that. But, you know, there's a lot of risk of getting rolled up in the NFL wherever you play. And if you're if you're a pass rusher and you're trying to do too much to get back in the pocket, you got a chance to get rolled up because one of your own rushers goes into you. Uh, boy, you don't you really don't want that happening. It's mostly an offensive line problem. I admit probably more an offensive line problem than a defensive line problem. But you don't want to have, you know, train wrecks of bodies, period, whatever combination of offensive and defensive players that might be that cause roll ups. And uh, I, I don't exactly know how how um, Barnett went down in this last game. Shaq, right? Shaq Barrett. Yeah. yeah. Shaq Barrett, I don't Shaq remember Barrett. the play where it happened, but was it, yeah. it, it ended up being an ACL, right? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. rough. But yeah, you see it. And you probably saw this too, because obviously you do all the scoring, but right there at the end, it might even been on like one of the, the last plays of the game. Ronnie got that ankle kind of pinched and he yeah. went down and grabbing at it. And I think he came back out for the kneel down. Um, but you know, that that reaction didn't look good. And somebody kind of got on the back of his leg. So yeah, it 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 happens, man. It's 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 tough in those trenches. That's a whole different life down there than it is other parts of the field. All right. All right, we'll tell you what, we'll take a quick little break here. Uh, We'll come back with part two and talk about the pass rush, some individual play, and get back to it with Michael Crawford. Michael, give the folks one more time where your Twitter handle is before we log off here. At Abukari, that's A-B-U-K-A-R-I. All right, outstanding. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.